0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Monclova Road Baptist Church. For more information about this message and the ministries of Monclova Road Baptist Church, please visit monclovabaptist.org. Turn with me to Matthew chapter number 24. Matthew chapter 24. I want to uh, read a few passages of Scripture here as we begin Matthew 24, and Jesus went out, in verse number one, and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the signs of thy coming and the end of the world? You know, from the very beginning, the disciples, the very first followers of Christ, they wanted to know about end times. And every generation since them has an interest, a desire to know about the end times. It's not just this generation. Paul even even discussed end time prophecy. The New Testament church, from its very infant stages, they were interested in what was going to happen at the end of the earth or the end of the world. And, and uh, uh, it's been always a desire. And, and every generation then begins to speak about it and, and begins to tell about it. And Jesus, Jesus here, his answer in verse number four, and Jesus answered and said to them, What's his first thing he says? Take heed that no man deceive you. His very first reply to them was to caution them. Take heed lest any man deceive you. He's giving them a warning saying there's going to be some that are going to come and there's going to be some that are going to try to deceive. There's going to be false things taught. And he's telling us be careful. As we look at end time prophecy, his warning is be careful. Take heed. There's a lot of stuff out there. And and there's a lot of things that that we can look at and a lot of things that are being taught. We need to be sure that as we're studying end time prophecies, that we're staying true to God's word and true to the scripture. He answers, take heed that no man deceive you. In verse number five, for many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. He shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, that ye shall not be, uh, uh, see that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. In verse number six, he says you're going to hear of wars. You're going to hear of things, destruction and, and, and problems. And what does he say? Be not troubled. Listen, as we see the events of the world happening all around us, we as Christians need to be careful that we don't get discouraged with the events of this world. It should not cause us to be afraid or frightened or fearful. We don't see the, the hear the wars, the rumors of war, see the destruction that's happening all around us. And it should not cause us as Christians to be alarmed or discouraged or afraid or live in fear. No, we as Christians should live a bold, victorious life because we know that Christ is victorious. And so he... Is giving them instruction here before he even begins to tell them the events he's giving them instruction and he says this for nation shall rise against nation kingdom against kingdom and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places all these things are the beginning of sorrows then shall they deliver you up uh, to be afflicted and shall kill you and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake In verse number 10, and then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Well, doesn't it sound like the world we're living in today? Many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Mankind is getting to the place just like in the days of Noah where mankind, violence and hatred You know, the events that we saw yesterday, if you've seen those on the news that happened in Virginia, Charlotteville, Virginia. The sad thing is, I think this, as the end times get closer and closer, we're going to see more and more of those things take place. It's sin, though. Racism is sin. The reality is this. God didn't come to save any specific race. He came to save all mankind. The Bible says that he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God did not create a superior race. He created mankind in his image. All mankind. There's not one person that's more important to God than someone else. Jesus Christ came and he gave his life so that every single human being can be saved. And so we see events like events that we saw yesterday transpiring around us, and we must call... That event, what it is, it's sin. Unfortunately, there's hatred in mankind's heart. There's rebellion in mankind's heart. And Christ warns us of that as we're studying end time prophecy. He says, it's going to happen. Men are going to wax worse and worse. Men are going to be lovers of themselves. Men are going to desire to live the life that they want to live. And they're not going to care about other people. We see it happening right in front of us. I found a um, article someone gave me in uh, a very popular magazine, and in the magazine on the front cover it said the Trump Doctrine. And so I began to read through this, and this is interesting to go along with our study as well. I want to read for you just a portion of this. Speaking of his doctrine uh, uh, on foreign affairs, said Egypt's president. After the speech, President Trump is a unique personality that is capable of doing the impossible. Said the president of the Palestinian state, standing beside Trump and talking of peace, I want to thank you for inviting me to work on a historic deal to bring about peace. Adding, you have the desire to see it come to fruition and become successful. Egypt, Palestinian state. Israel President Benjamin Netanyahu for the first time in my lifetime he says this I see real hope for change adding that he hopes to roll back aggression and terror on the same subject the Pope the Vatican reported President Trump and the Pope spoke of a joint commitment and listen to this including the promotion of peace in the world through political negotiation and interreligious dialogue exactly what we're saying the world is crying for peace. The world is crying for unity. That last statement, the promotion of peace in the world through political negotiation, political negotiation and interreligious, inter-religious dialogue with a particular reference to the Middle East in protection of Christian communities. As we are opening God's word week after week and we're studying about end time prophecy, I'm telling you the events of this world are pointing to the return of Jesus Christ. The events of this world are pointing to the fact there are decisions that are being made at at high levels in this world that are setting up for the, the rise of the Antichrist, for the rise of a one-world government, for the, for the uh, uh, unity of religion so that there would be a one-world religion. And all of that's going to bring about what we've talked about, a one-world monetary system where all will have to take the mark of the beast to buy, sell, and trade. All of those things that are happening, they're happening right before our eyes. This week... In high level meetings in places across this world, I believe this, there's talk, that there's decisions that are being made that are ushering in this one world government the Antichrist is going to take up. It's called the time of tribulation. It's a seven year period of time that God allows for the Antichrist to come and set up his reign here on this world. And we study studied this over the last several weeks. This time of tribulation is going to be, going to be followed first. It's going to happen. Is going to be the rapture of the church. The dead in Christ will rise. Those that have already passed on, that are saved, they're going to rise from the grave. And those of us that are alive and, and, and remain, and we call that the great what? The great disappearance. There's going to be a time where the trump of God is going to sound, and the church is going to be raptured out of this place. It's going to cause mass chaos like this world has never seen before. And when that event happens, the Antichrist is going to come in and he's going to begin to set up his kingdom here upon this earth. And he is going to bring... Peace in unity. In Israel, we saw this, that Israel is going to give up her arms and and her defenses and to buy into this treaty with the Antichrist. And for three and a half years, the first half of the tribulation, there is going to be peace. But the problem is this, that peace is not built upon biblical principles, that peace is not built upon Jesus Christ, that peace is not built upon truth, that peace is going to be built upon false things. The Antichrist is going to then choose to go against Israel. He is going to uh, uh, break that peace treaty with Israel. The temple is going to be uh, uh, constructed and the Antichrist, the Bible says, is going to set in the temple and proclaim himself as God. There's going to be an image that's built and all mankind is going to be required that's living in the time of the tribulation to worship that image. Antichrist is going to turn on Israel and there's going to be seven years of judgment here upon this earth. And we saw last week what those judgments were. 25% of the human race will be killed through these judgments. A third of the trees and the grass are going to be burned up. We find this a third of the fish life and animal life in the waters are going to be killed. The, the seas are going to turn to blood. Their drinking water is going to, 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 to not be drinkable. The, the food sources are going to be uh, 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 small. The, the water supply is going to be small. There's not going to be enough to eat or drink here upon this earth. There's going to be horrible, horrible judgment that comes here upon this earth. The Bible talks of scorpions that will bite mankind and and inflict pain upon mankind the bible says this that the pain is going to be so great the tribulation is going to be so great that mankind is going to cry out for the rocks to fall on them to kill them but they're not going to be able to die such great tribulation what is the purpose of this tribulation And today I want to just look at this, this thought as we close our study on the tribulation next week, we're going to get into the battle of Armageddon, but we're going to see this here today, the purpose of the tribulation in church. I want want us to remember that the tribulation has a purpose. Everything that God does, God does for a purpose. God is a God of order. God is a God of purpose. In each phase of the tribulation is God giving mankind yet another opportunity to repent before they are destroyed. And I want us to be very careful as we look at all the judgments that happen during this time of tribulation and we see what kind of God, what kind of God would inflict such pain on humankind? What kind of God, what kind of God could do such horrific things and cause so much pain to come upon this earth? Why would a loving, merciful God cause such harm to come upon this earth? I want us to understand this that as judgment is coming upon this earth, that God, in His love and in His mercy, his is still desiring for mankind to have an opportunity to repent and turn back to him he's still even during the days of the tribulation he's still giving mankind an opportunity to be saved At any moment, mankind can turn to Christ. But instead of turning to Christ, what we find during this tribulation period is that mankind, instead, they choose to endure the tribulation. They choose to endure the judgments of the tribulation. They choose to endure the wrath of God. And instead of turning from their sin, instead of turning from the rebellion, instead of turning from the Antichrist and this one world government that will be set, instead of turning from that and turning to God, they'll harden their heart against God. They'll blaspheme his name. And when God pours out his wrath, we need to realize this about God. God doesn't, it's not just nearly, merely venting. Have you ever vented to someone before? Uh, have you ever vented to someone and said, I'm sorry for venting? I'm sorry. I just needed to what? Get it off my oh, listen, all you saints in here, you're like Never done such a thing. How many of you vented? Answer this right. How many, the person next to you has ever vented? You'll get a better honest opinion there. Yeah, exactly. We all vent. We just want to get it off our chest. And then what once you get off your chest, what do you say? Oh, that felt better. Whew. Now the person that you just vented on has like this, you know, pile of garbage. And what am I gonna do? But I feel better. Thank you. Whew. God's not venting. He's not venting and, and just, just randomly you know, deciding that He's going to hurt mankind. He is bringing men to a point of decision. What God is doing is God is causing you to come to a place of decision. And that's what salvation is all about. Salvation is you coming to a point of decision. Are you going to continue in your sin? Are you going to continue to live your life the way you want it lived? Are you going to continue to live based upon your lust in your, your desires and what you want? Or are you going to take the opportunity to trust Christ and confess your sin and accept the blood payment of Jesus Christ for your sin? The decision is yours to make and God even during the time of tribulation he's bringing mankind to the point of decision his judgment is to get mankind to see that they must turn and repent and and yield themselves to him Unfortunately, though, according to Revelation chapter 9, verse number 20, over and over, man is going to willfully choose not to repent. Look at this verse with me, if you would, please. Revelation nine twenty, and the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, wither, uh, which neither can see nor hear nor walk in revelation 16:9, the bible tells as well speaking of the tribulation period and men were scorched with great heat blaspheme the name of god which hath great power over these plagues and what does the bible say and they repented not to give him glory in Revelation 16, 10, 11, and the fifth angel poured out his vial against the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. What did they do? They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain. Instead of turning to God, they blasphemed God because of the pain and because of their sore, and repented not of their deeds. God cannot allow unrepented sin of mankind to be unchecked for all of eternity. God is a just God. God is a righteous God. God is a holy God. And because those are attributes of God, God must judge sin. But his justice requires judgment. But I want you to see today that his judgment also has grace. Now listen, if you were a if there was a judge and this judge sat and they brought criminals to this front of this judge every day and every day that those criminals would stand for that judge. And if that judge every day would say this, not guilty, I'm going to free you, go home now every once in a while you might think, boy, that judge is a nice judge. He just let that person go. But if that judge was in a place to deliver justice and deliver judgment, and he never delivered justice or judgment, you would say this, that judge isn't doing their job. That judge is not a very good judge. All these criminals that do wrong, all these people that have broken the law, they stand before this judge, and instead of that judge giving judgment to those criminals, he's letting them go. He's causing them to go free. We would say this, that judge is not a good judge because that judge is required to give justice and justice means judgment to those that break the law and God is the same way God is a righteous God God is a holy God and God in his justice he must judge sin sin will be judged you cannot live a life of sin and think that there's no pain no 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 payment that's going to be made You can't live a life satisfying to yourself and pleasing to yourself, a life filled of pride and lust, a life filled of earthly pleasure, and expect that you're going to be able to live that life and there's no payment for your sin. Sin must be paid for. The Bible says this, that sin is pleasurable for a season, but then God is going to judge you and your sin. Be sure your sin will find you out. Listen to me. God despises sin. It was sin, it was your sin, and my sin, and the sin of this human race that put Jesus Christ on the cross. It was sin that caused Jesus Christ to have to leave heaven. It was sin that caused Jesus Christ to be born of a virgin. It was sin that caused Jesus Christ to live on this earth and to do his earthly ministry. It was sin that required Jesus Christ to stand before Pilate. It was sin that caused Jesus Christ to stand before his accusers and be found guilty. It was sin that caused that that, that Roman soldier to beat the face of Jesus. It was sin that caused the beard of Jesus to be plucked out. It was sin that caused that crown of thorns to be placed upon his head. It was sin that caused those nails to pierce his hands and to pierce his feet. It was your sin and it was my sin that caused that cat of nine tails to whip the back of Jesus and that skin to be ripped off his back and the muscles and the bones in his body to be exposed because of the pain and the agony he went through. It was your sin and it was my sin that caused Jesus Christ, the Bible says, as he hung on the cross, to not even be recognizable as a man. It was your sin and my sin that caused Jesus Christ to endure death, the crucifixion of the cross. It was sin. And God has to be, there has to be a payment for sin. But God in his mercy and God in his grace, he provided a payment through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ hung on the cross his blood was shed. And that blood was offered before God. And when that blood was offered and that sacrifice and that altar before God, that blood was sufficient payment for your sin and for my sin. And so as we study the judgments of God and we wonder how could a loving God allow such judgment in, 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 in things to come against this earth? How could he allow such a thing? I want you to remember this that his purpose of the judgment is because he's a just God. But as his judgment is coming, he is also offering a way to escape. It's not the fact that he said you've sinned and now therefore you must pay for your sin. He says you've sinned, and if you choose to pay for your sin, it's on you. but I'm I'm going to offer a way to escape. I'm going to offer a pure lamb. I'm going to offer a precious lamb. I'm going to offer my son, Jesus Christ, the beginning and the end, the savior of this world, the Messiah, the shepherd, the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. I'm going to offer him and he's going to go to the cross and he is going to take every sin that you've ever committed and every sin that you've ever committed will be forgiven if it's covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Fifth angel poured out this vial. And you know what we find? Revelation two twenty one. God says this: I gave a space to repent of her fornication, and unfortunately, man, man refused not to. The tribulation marks the beginning of the end for the space of repentance. If you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the opportunity to repent. I've showed you this. I believe that Paul shows us in, in the book of Thessalonians that those that reject Christ here before the tribulation will believe the great lie, will be deceived during the tribulation. If you say, you know what, I'll just wait and all these things start to happen around me, then I'll know, and then ask, I'll get saved at that time. The Bible tells us this you'll be deceived. You'll believe that great lie of the Antichrist. You'll believe in that great delusion that's going to be given, and you are going to be deceived. Today's the day of salvation. Those that are saved during the, there will be some that are saved during the tribulation. We looked at those men. There was 144,000 that would be saved, Jews that would begin to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and many other will be saved. Through the tribulation judgment, God uh, will show his goodness, but God is also gonna show his justice. In his goodness, he still allows men to turn from their wicked ways. He still allows men to turn from their sin and trust Jesus Christ. But in his justice, he will cause judgment to come to those who defy him and blaspheme his holy name. I want to look to this morning, the purpose as it relates to Israel. We are either going to look at it relating to Israel or we're going to look at it relating to as well as Gentiles. Even as God uses the tribulation and the judgments to accomplish these purposes, He deals very specifically and very individually with two groups of people. Those two groups of people is Israel and the Gentiles. So you are either of Israel or a Gentile. How many of you would say I'm of Israel? I'm a Jew. Alright, how many of you'd say I'm a Gentile? How many of you say I don't know what I am? Huh? Just raise both hands. You can be both. All right. We're gonna look this morning at the purpose as it relates to Israel. Christians, when we study Israel, we think of Israel in view of of uh, modern day Israel like they were in biblical times. But reality is this. We assume that most are devout, practicing Jews. In reality, this is the truth. In reality, the nation is a very secular nation. They're not practicing devout Jews. They're very secular, and most Israelis today are agnostics. They're not believing they're not believing. there's still a, a few, a devout uh, few that are practicing Jews, but many are very secular. In Israel as a whole, they have turned their heart from God for centuries. Matter of fact, Paul, in 1 Thessalonians 2.15, Paul describes the coldness of the Jews' heart toward God. He says this, Who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God in our contrary to all men. We find that Paul was telling the church here in Thessalonica, he was saying the Jews have turned their heart against God. And thus the, the purpose for this supernatural judgment during the time of the tribulation is going to be to cause Israel, re, Israel to reprove her of her unbelief. God desires for Israel to turn back to him. Now, this is where you have to be careful. There are some that teach and some that preach. And be careful what you listen to, that God is finished with Israel, that God, Israel is no longer God's chosen people. They've rejected the Messiah. And now God now turns to the local New Testament church, to us New Testament believers, and we've replaced Israel. The fact of the matter is this, the Bible doesn't say that. All through scripture, all through end time prophecy, you find, even in the book of Jeremiah, find where God is designing for Israel to turn back to him matter of fact you find where that blessing that God gave to those that bless Israel and those that curse Israel the curse that God gives I think it still applies today that covenant that was made with Abraham I believe this the reason why this country this nation is blessed the way that this nation is blessed is because this nation has blessed Israel it's not because we've done something great as American people I believe this our country is great because God chooses To bless us because we blessed his chosen people, Israel. Nations around this world have been cursed because they curse Israel. I believe this if we ever began to take away the blessing of Israel from this country to Israel and begin to curse Israel, I think you'd find that God's judgment would come upon this country. How do I know that? Because God always keeps his covenant, God always keeps his promise. Israel. God loves his chosen people. He desires through the time of tribulation to bring Israel back to himself. So the purpose the purpose of this judgment is to reprove Israel for her unbelief. And God is going to hand judgment out. And he's not intending to, to just mercilessly reprove, but he's also looking to gloriously bring them to repentance. God is going to allow judgment to come to Israel here at this time during the tribulation, but he's causing it to come so they turn back to him. Just like with a parent. You know, we discipline our children. I've never disciplined my children because I hated my children. I've never sent my kids and spanked our children and said, you know why you got that? You got that because I hate you. Does it hurt? I'm glad it hurts. That's what you get. You know, every time we discipline our children, we do that because they've done wrong. And what we're wanting them to do is correct them to get them back to the place where they're right. Right? And God is going to bring judgment here so that Israel comes back to him. He's going to bring judgment so that Israel will turn back to him. In Jeremiah 30, 7 through 9, you find this, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob there is referring to Israel, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off my neck. I will burst thy bonds, and the strangers shall no more serve themselves of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. As we see here in Jeremiah chapter 30, God is going to release the Gentile uh, hold on Israel. He's going to restore Israel back to himself. And as a result of this tribulation, Israel is going to return to her God and they're going to receive the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so the whole point of this that we find is so that Israel turns back to God, receives the Messiah and rehashed God as their God and God uh, will be their God and he they will be his people so there's a purpose for the tribulation with Israel Israel is going to turn back to God there's also a purpose as it relates to the Gentile nations for all the nations all the Gentile nations God has a twofold purpose and I want us to see this twofold purpose here today Author LaHaye says this, we believe with all our hearts that the tribulation judgment of God serves as a dual purpose. Number one, to punish hardened sinners. And number two, to move others to repentance of faith. The tribulation will be God's ultimate illustration of the truth found in Romans 11, 22. That truth is this, behold, therefore the goodness and severity of God. It is true that the tribulation will demonstrate God's severity, but it is equally true that it will showcase his goodness, Lehi writes. And so there's going to be a twofold purpose to the to the purpose of the uh, 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 tribulation to the Gentile nations number one it's going to be judgment for sin mankind is going to be judged for their sin mankind is going to be judged for for their rebellion against God mankind is going to be judged for their worship of other gods mankind is going to be judged for their fornication for their adultery for their murder for their crimes for their drunkenness for all the sin that mankind has committed and not repenting and turning back to God Mankind is going to be judged. These judgments are his direct retribution for the rebellion. God is going to judge mankind's rebellion. He's going to judge them for their desire to worship the Antichrist. They're going to uh, judge them for their 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 uh, 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 hurt and, and uh, um, turning on Israel. He's going to judge them. And the, the climax of God's retribution is going to take place at the Battle of Armageddon. We're going to find this, that mankind believes that they're going to be able to destroy God. Could you imagine being a human being thinking that you have the power to defeat God? I mean, could you imagine shaking your fist at God thinking that you're going to win? Could you imagine mankind coming to the place where they think that with all their power, and with all their might, that they're going to destroy God? I remember as, as a child growing up, I loved to wrestle with my dad. The problem is I never won. Anybody here wrestle with their dad and their parent, their older brother? I loved to wrestle, and I would always get hurt. And I, I remember my mom saying, why do you continue? Because then I would do what you know every mama's boy would do, go run to mom you know, when dad hurt me. Mom, dad, you know. And she'd say, why do you keep going and wrestling? You know you're going to lose every time. And so I'd try every way. I'd jump on his back when he's not looking. I'd end up on my back. I mean, it didn't matter if I'd try to get him from the back, the front, the top, the bottom. It didn't matter. He always won because he was always stronger. And then he would trick every, every once in a while. He'd, he'd act like I was winning, and I'd start to think I was winning. And for some strange reason, I'd start to believe that. And just as I started to win or think I was winning, he'd say, you know what, enough. And it would be done. It would be off the top ropes, you know, and, uh, and I'd be done. I don't know whatever thought crossed my mind thinking this, that I could beat him. But every time I started, you know what I thought? Maybe today's the day. You know what I learned every day? Today's not the day. He's more powerful. He's stronger. He could let me win for a little bit of time, thinking I'm winning, only to come back and just destroy me. This what's going to happen in the end times here. We're going to find where the human race, they actually think they're going to defy God and win. They actually think that by living in their sin is a better option than turning and repenting and going to God. They actually believe that there's going to come a time that they are going to defeat God. Here we find, if you look with me in Psalm chapter number 2, verse 1 and 3, the Bible says this, Why do the heathen rage and the people? Imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. What is wrong with the human race? Why are the kings coming together? Why are they thinking that they can defeat God? Defeat the Lord against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us goes on to read this he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh here's God as human race is coming together at this last battle they're going to come they're going to think they're going to destroy and defeat God and God is just going to simply laugh here's God who is all powerful think mankind thinks that they've got enough power to defeat the most powerful being in all the world They, they think that they have enough strength to defeat the one that is almighty they think they have enough power and enough strength to defeat God and God is just simply in the heavens and he Laughs knowing this that it doesn't matter how much you believe that you have enough strength, you'll never defeat God. It doesn't matter how strong mankind is, they'll never defeat God. It doesn't matter what mankind thinks. They can never defeat God. It doesn't matter if you believe this book or not believe this book. The fact of the matter is, this book is true. It doesn't matter if you believe God or you think that God is not real. What matters is this that God is true and God is living and God is just and God God is powerful and God is mighty, and there's no time in this world that mankind is ever going to defeat God. There's going to be a time where man is going to come together and man thinks they're going to defeat God, but God is simply going to laugh because he's all powerful. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them with his sore displeasure. Bible goes on to say in Psalm 289, and and ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance in the uttermost parts of the earth, uh, fourthly possession, thou shall break them with a rod of iron and shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This here tells us exactly the strength and the power of God. When mankind thinks that they're going to come against God, God is going to dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Do you ever see a, 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 a vessel break? Do you ever smash a plate on? on the ground and it just smashes into pieces. That's exactly what God is going to do here at this time of judgment when man thinks that they have control over God. The majority of the world leaders, they're already set against Christ. They're already intolerant of Christianity. You know, there seems in fact to be tolerant for every religion except Christianity. And through the judgments of the tribulation, God is going to set the record straight. Listen to me, there is going to be a time, Christian, you can't continue to live in your sin and think that you could serve the world and serve God. There's going to be a day of judgment for that sin. Listen to me, maybe you're here today and you and you think this, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to believe what I want to believe. i have going to relieve the religion I want. I'm going to be the person I want to believe. Don't tell me what to live. Don't tell me how to live. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to do what I want, believe what I want. I want you to know that one day that God is going to set the record straight all mankind that thinks there's another way to heaven besides Jesus Christ. God is going to set the record straight for man to think that that they can live in pride, in jealousy, in ignorance, in their sin, if man thinks that they can enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, I want you to know that one day that God is going to set the record straight. You cannot continue to live in your sin and think that it's going to be okay. You cannot continue to live in your sin and think that it's never going to find you out. God one day is going to set the record straight. And I pray that if you're here today, Or maybe you take this CD and you share this CD with someone and you're listening to my voice on a CD one day. I hope, I hope that you understand that God is a powerful God. God is a just God and God is going to judge sin. And you cannot decide what is right and wrong. You must simply commit that you are going to surrender to this book. Because one day God God is going to dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Yet even in judgment, God's going to extend his grace. And that is what we keep going back to over and over. Every time we see God's judgment, we see God's grace. Far more than retribution, God desires the repentance of the nations. To quote LeHay again, he says this, while this period of, is primarily a time of wrath and judgment, it also features a very strong note of mercy and grace, a note too often gets overlooked. Sometimes we think God gets a bad rap when people focus exclusively on the judgments and terrors to come. They see the Lord as some kind of angry monster heaping up catastrophes and pouring them on the heads of defenseless, innocent men and women. But he writes this, this is all wrong. First, those who suffer the judgment of God in a tribulation, they're not innocent men and women. Those that suffer the judgment of God, they're suffering the judgment of God because they've sinned. And we will see the rebels alive at the time will not only reject God and his offer of salvation, but will run greedily toward every vile sin known to man He continues to write this, including the blasphemy of a kind beyond description. And second, despite their gross sin, God intends that these tribulation judgments might lead even these wicked sinners to faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, I don't understand that. Because the truth is, I have a hard time forgiving people that hurt me. You know, I can forgive you hurt me, but man, you hurt someone I love, it's even harder to forgive. Brother Tyler, if someone do something against you, you might be able to forget it. If someone do something against Sarah, you, it's hard to forgive them, isn't it? If someone do something against one of your kids, it's hard to forgive them, isn't it? I couldn't imagine someone coming up and mistreating someone that I love and me still offering that person forgiveness. I don't understand somebody that could be a drunkard. One day they simply say, I repent. I've lived a life selfish. I've lived a life opposite of God. I've lived a life of sin. I'm ready ready to repent. And God says, Come unto me all ye that labor, heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I can't imagine that that father that beats his his children and wife abuser one day coming and saying god I repent and god saying come unto me all you that labor heavy laden and I'll give you rest I can't imagine that murderer if it's my choice, I'd say, you've done the crime. Now, now it's your fault. You pay the price. But God says, I'm not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Even the time of tribulation, when mankind is blaspheming God, even when in the time of tribulation, when mankind is, is worshiping other idols, and worshiping the beast, and worshiping this image, at any moment, God is desiring by his mercy and by his grace to save them, desiring for them to simply repent of their sins and turn to God, and he frees really saves those that do that. I don't understand it. Even before before the final outpouring of wrath at the Battle of Armageddon, God gives men seven years of tribulation to repent. The nations of this earth that are turning their back on God, we see the seven years of tribulation, a great outpouring of god 's wrath here upon this earth, and even during that time he provides one hundred and forty four thousand witnesses to encourage them to turn back to God. The unfortunate thing is few will revelation sixteen verse number twelve through fourteen, and the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up and the way the kings of the east might be prepared and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon out of the mouth of the beast out of the mouth of the false prophet for they are spirits of the devil working miracles which go forth into the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty instead of mankind turning from their sin and repenting they gather themselves together and they think this I'm going to defeat God God in His love and His mercy today, He's willing to forgive you of any sin that you've ever committed. I don't care what sin you committed before you came into church this morning. I don't care what sin you committed last evening before you fell asleep. God is willing to forgive you of that sin. He desires to forgive you of that sin. Jesus Christ shed His blood. There's no sin too great that Jesus Christ will not forgive. Would you do it before it's too late? A couple weeks ago, in my house, Sunday afternoon, we were eating dinner, and my son didn't come down. He was up in his room, and we just thought he was doing some some work. He's a little bit nerdy, so we thought maybe he was doing some school work, you know, three, three four weeks before school start, just to get a jump on it, you know. And um, he comes down. The girls are done eating, and my wife and I were sitting out on our back patio. There's a plate of food sitting in front of him. He sits down in front of the plate of food and he just looks at it. And I knew there was something wrong because you put a plate of food in front of a teenage boy and he doesn't eat. There's something wrong. But the truth is I didn't want to know what was wrong. It was Sunday afternoon. I didn't want to deal with any problems. So I was afraid to ask. Honestly, I thought he was going to tell me that dad had gotten in some trouble. I did something wrong and I didn't want to deal with it so I looked at his face, and I looked at his mom, and she's looking at me, and I'm saying to her, don't ask, I don't wanna know, we'll deal with it tomorrow. Tears began to roll down his face, and I said to him, I said, son, what's wrong? He began to tear up even more, and he wasn't able to speak for a few minutes, and he finally said, dad, I just got saved. Well, I rejoiced at first, I was relieved. I thought, boy, that's better than what I thought it was going to be, <laughs> but boy, I rejoice with him. Sixteen-year-old, he's never known anything other than his dad being in the ministry. Sixteen-year-old, never known anything other than being in a Christian home. Sixteen years old, never knew, never knew uh, 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 living in the world hasn't experienced the the, the 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 joys and the pleasures of this world for a season. hasn't hasn't lived that kind of life yet. Thought he was saved at a young age, but you know what? He realized I'm not saved. That day in his room, he repented of his sin. He trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. I wonder if there's some here today that sit week after week. Holy Spirit of God tugging at your heart. I said to Jacob, I said, son, I thought you got saved. He was on a trip with me to Virginia one time. And I remember talking to him in the car. I remember sitting in the hotel room that evening. He said, dad, I, I know you tell me. I just don't remember at all. I said, I'm sure glad you made that decision today. I'm so glad you got saved today. He said, Dad, I'd struggle with it. Other people would get saved and I would feel the Lord leading me and I'd say to myself, no, you've already been saved. And I'd put it away and I'd, I'd not deal with it. He said, matter of fact, when we were away, the, uh, the teens that got saved, I was, I was hiding my, 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 my guilt knowing I need to be saved by rejoicing with them, being excited for them, praying with them and telling them how glad they got saved. And the whole time inside, I knew I needed to be saved. I wonder. Makes me wonder how many, maybe others, are sitting in a place like a church like this that hears a gospel that's saying, I need to be saved. Don't let pride keep you from being saved. God is giving you a chance, He's giving you an opportunity. Don't let your sinful pleasures keep you from being saved. Don't let the joys of this world, because I want you to know this, according to God's word, that those sins are only pleasurable for a season. There's a payday coming. You can't continue in your sin. There's no sin that's pleasurable enough, enjoying on this side of earth, that you are going to have to pay for it for all of eternity. There's no sin that pleasurable. If you live for 70 years and you enjoyed the same sin for 70 years, there's no way that sin is worth it because eternity is longer. But God says in his love and his mercy, you don't have to pay your sin debt. Jesus Christ already has. He loves you and he went to the cross. Even up through the time of the tribulation, as God is pouring his wrath out upon man, He's extending grace. Simply, if you repent, I'll accept you as a child.